If there's a way to break it, I'll find it. Hello and welcome to Four Color Nerds Comic Podcast, Episode 66. I'm Rory and I'm joined by some of the other nerds. Carissa. Hey! Ryan. Hello. Together we take on this week's comics. Each week we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear all the spoilers, take a break now, go read your week's books, then come on back. You back yet? All right. Each week, one of us picks their favorite book, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd. This week, the pick of the week goes to Star-Lord, number four. Our companion song is Brown-Eyed Handsome Man by Chuck Berry, because, well, if you listen to it, it might make sense. So, listen. Just listen. You'll be better for it. Arrested on charges of unemployment, he was sitting in the witness stand. The judge's wife called up the district attorney. She said, free that brown-eyed man. If you want your job, you better free that brown-eyed man. Flying across the desert in a TWA, I saw a woman walk across the sand. She'd been walking 30 miles en route to Bombay to meet a brown-eyed handsome man. Her destination was a brown-eyed handsome man. Way back in history, 3,000 years, in fact, ever since the world began. There's been a whole lot of good women shedding tears over a brown-eyed handsome man. It's a lot of trouble with a brown-eyed handsome man. Rest in peace, Chuck Berry. Favorites. So, we've got Star-Lord number four, Marvel Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky, pencils and inks by Chris Anka, colors by Matthew Wilson. I decided to go with Star-Lord. To me, this week, I kind of wasn't a fan of a lot of them, but Star-Lord's always fun. There's a lot of funny moments in this one, and I just thought that there was a lot of cool stuff that happened in this particular episode. We start off with, like, kind of like a flashback to this, like, heist going on, and Daredevil shows up to, like, bust it. In, like, Bermuda shorts. Yeah, that's true, huh? <laughs> it's his early outfit, you know? It's a work in progress. <laughs> Back when Daredevil wanted to show off some leg, Daredevil shows up and he's busting the silver bandit. And he's like, oh, you know, I didn't hear your footsteps. And then he goes like running off out the window. And then it turns out that this is Edmund Allen, who's the old man that Star-Lord has been tasked with as a community service project, been following this old guy around. So it turns out that he's been one of Daredevil's original cases where he's trying to bust him. I thought that that was pretty cool, like the way they described his special suit, because it turns out that him and his brother had found this alien suit, and his brother was like really the brains behind the operation, and so he's trying to reverse engineer this alien suit. And what it does is, it looks like it moves really fast, but in actuality, it occupies one space in time perfectly. There's a scene where like they're checking it out since the Earth is moving, and they hadn't figured out exactly how to do it right. The suit goes like shooting through the roof, and uh, once he figures it out, well, then he puts in an algorithm where it basically like calculates the Earth's movement so that it could be used as almost like flying. I thought that was a really inventive part of the book. I thought that was a really cool idea because we don't think about the fact really that we're hurtling through space an incredible rate of speed. Exactly. That was one of the things that got me actually right off the bat. I was like, wow, that was a really cool idea. And whoever came up with that was really thinking. You have superheroes that fly all the time, but to have somebody that... With science! Yeah, it was great. I really dug that. Go Chip! Anyways, they're trying to reverse engineer this suit, and basically the company that Edmund's brother James is working for basically shows up to get the suit back while Edmund's out getting like some donuts. Yeah, it's AIM. It's Advanced Idea Mechanics. 
Oh, gotcha. They end up murdering his brother, and then he ends up getting his revenge on him right there with the superpowers of the suit. And then he's explaining how he just kind of like used it. He wasn't really like trying to harm anybody, but he was basically robbing from the super rich bankers and stuff like that. And then he'd use it to spread it around. So then Star-Lord and Daredevil get in this big argument over whether or not he should serve time, even though he's saying, okay, it's my word against yours, prove it. Yeah, show up in court and testify, asshole. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Really hilarious conversation between Daredevil and Star-Lord there, too. Go punch drug lords, not Star-Lords! Well, I like when Daredevil's, like, saying how, like, I built my career on stopping people like you. He's like, really? You think putting on pajamas and hassling an old man is a career? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Edmund Allen kind of reminds me of just, like, the old guy who has, like, zero fucks left to give. Yeah, exactly. It's like, what are you gonna... I'm an old man. It's like, what are you gonna reform me? But then we go to Star-Lord flashing back to the bar with no name he's talking with a bunch of the guys there the shocker is worried about diamond head because he's disappeared he's complex i like that star lord is like really you're concerned about him he's like well they they might be coming for me next (laughs) so he's not entirely altruistic you know he is still super villainy (laughs) not so super villain i guess really would be yeah exactly third rate that's what some of the comedy comes from i mean i really love the interaction with star lord and the shocker or quilt face as someone calls him later on oh totally so star lord uses his helmet basically to figure out you know kind of like batman the crime scene whoa that's some Iron Man shit right there. Oh, that was a good line. <laughs> Especially because that's Marvel's Batman. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that Diamond Dust is worth anything? Yeah. So they figure out where he's been taken to. They bust into this place and it's like, it's just like his head and his leg left. <laughs> I like that he took an Uber there. That's like the part that was really funny. Oh, that was hilarious too. Once again, another one of those modern references that I love. And then I think you can also see Chip's kind of irreverent dirtiness, like his you know, close to dirty as you can get in like a Marvel book where they're kind of making fun of like the shocker and his... Oh, yeah. (laughs) And his vibro, yeah. His vibro pounders or whatever they're called. Vibro smashers, yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. Hilarious. But anyway, so they bust in and Diamond Head's nothing but a head and a leg left because Black Cat has basically taken him and started taking off bits by bit by bit because she found out that he can regrow those parts. So that's her latest caper. They get in this big fight with her goons, which is kind of a funny little fight. One point or another, she basically tells him how much like the bar has actually provided her with jobs and stuff like that. She's basically just been the uh, smart criminal and spying on the uh, the other not-so-super criminals and using that to be, like, one step ahead of them and take all the good jobs, which is great. She lets him out because she's got one last job to pull, and she's using not Edmund, but his son, basically using him as leverage for Star-Lord to pull off this job for. The reason why I picked this one, it was just a good ride. It, Star-Lord is always really funny. They've got great references, good story. I did did like that beginning part where they talk about Edmund and all of his past and stuff. So all of a sudden, you know who this old man is. And I, I just thought that that was a cool tie-in. And so it, it really kind of grabbed me. Well, first off, I have to thank Chip for his continuedness of putting some beefcake moves in there for every issue of Star-Lord. He's been totally doing the kind of trope where they would make female superheroes clothes rip in very sexual ways or in some scantily clad thing. Like last issue was him walking around in his boxers. This one, all of a sudden, his shirt gets ripped across his ass. So I really appreciate the beefcake and showing off the six packs of Star-Lord. I 
think that's really funny and clever of Chip and I really like it. There was this really great comedy but then again I tend to really appreciate Chip's writing style so the little jabs in there of comedy are gonna be little nuggets of gold and I love them and just like I like his whole conversation and dynamic with Quiltface slash the shocker. It was uh, <laughs> very enjoyable and Black Cat like the part where he's coming to and it's all blurry and stuff like that I really like that touch in the artwork. This was my pick so I'm glad it got stolen because that means that it was good. Good job Chris Hanka. <laughs> the art it's like i tend to think of chip as being the artist but he's the writer on this one you know but i think that chris anka's style is actually pretty similar to when chip does his art so it's a pretty good blend there of the two i just am happy with chip's writing it makes me really look forward to the fact that he's going to have a spider-man title in a little while i think that's going to be a perfect blend of writer and character so i'm looking forward to that but for this one it was funny i laughed when i thought this stuff with diamond head i thought that was pretty horrific actually it reminds me a lot of like silence of the lambs seriously mm-hmm. <laughs> how fucked up is that <laughs> yeah Oh, God. I enjoyed it. I mean, it wasn't my favorite book this week. I certainly thought it was a good time. I was going to give it four scruffy Star-Lord beards. <laughs> nice. I'm going to give it four and a half punch drug lords, not Star-Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I will give it three and a half shockers vibro smashers. Nice. Mm-hmm. So we're going over to the DC Universe to Batman number 19 from DC Comics. I Am Bane Part 4, written by Tom King, pencils by David Finch, inks by Danny Mika, Trevor Scott, and Sandra Hope, colors by Jordi Belair. So this Batman story, I think the more you know about when the bat got broken, the more you'll appreciate this story. Because when Bane went to break the bat, he was not stupid about it. He sent every Batman villain against him, and then when Batman was at his lowest is when he chose to fight him, right? And this is kind of the reverse of that, in that you see Bane is now having to go into Arkham Asylum where Batman is at the end of this hellish maze which they kind of set the tone there with like Maxi Zeus who's quoting Dante's Inferno to him like the abandoned hope all who enter part of it the beginning of part three I really enjoy it. you get about two pages with each Batman villain confronting Bane and Bane just whooping the shit out of all of them <laughs> um, like it opens up with Two-Face you know who's like doing the very classic And that's the great thing about it, too, is each villain is distilled down to kind of their essence here. So you've got, like, Two-Face, who's like, well, I'm of two minds. What I should do? Batman's offering me this. What are you going to offer me? And, like, Bane just, like, punches him in the gut, and he's like, pain. I offer pain, you know? (laughs) Which reminds me a lot of, like, Clubber Lang in that. That's the definite tone I got from that little (laughs) sequence there. And then you get Solomon Grundy and Amygdala, who are, like, these two huge brawlers. Because at first, Solomon Grundy is kind of, like, rhyming, and Amygdala is like, I don't know what rhymes with amygdala and then bane is just like i am torment i am ruin i am plague i am venom i am bane and then he's just beating the hell out of them but you don't actually see the fight because it shifts over to the scarecrow who's locked in a room on the other side and he just he hears the fight and he can see like the door the steel door getting dented in from the fight and you can hear people screaming like no (laughs) you know as bane is just going to town on them and he's listing the names of all these different fears which is pretty cool i like that scene so it's just kind of like anticipation where 
where you can imagine the fight between Bane and Solomon Grundy and Amygdala, but you don't actually have to see it for it to have the impact, which I think lets your mind fill in the details really well. So then Bane busts through the door and Scarecrow gasses him with a fear toxin. And, you know, Bane kind of drops to his knees and is fighting it. And you get this really cool panel where the Scarecrow drops down and he keeps zooming in each panel closer and closer as he's talking to him about like his nightmares, like, you know, tell me about your nightmares, you know, what what's happening, trying to draw him out. And he keeps zooming in closer and closer until you finally get this one of just like his mouth, which is a really menacing panel. And I really enjoyed it. I totally love this too. Yeah. Bane is like, I don't get nightmares. I give nightmares. And then you just, it cuts away. <laughs> and again, you hear Scarecrow just screaming. Mm-hmm. And then Alfred is like, this is absolutely insane. Why did you turn everyone in Arkham Asylum loose and arm them to fight Bane? And Batman's like, well, I can't really call the Justice League or anyone else. They showed up before and it didn't help. We have to keep the Psycho Pirate here until he can finish curing Claire. So you get that little interlude there. Then there's, this is probably my least favorite one with all the villains, the one with Mr. Freeze, where he locks him in some ice and he's like, there's so many pounds of pressure. You know, the most any human being could break is, you know, basically half of that amount. Bane busts out, beats the hell out of him. Then there's like a bunch of like little one-off crappy Batman villains that he fights like in one panel each. I think he missed a golden opportunity here because I was waiting for Kite. I know. Bane versus Kite Man would have been the shit. (laughs) He loves Kite Man. All that Kite Man teasing. I know. I was like the same thing. I'm like, I got some Alfred. Where's my Kite Man? Oh. That's so true. Like, Kite Man, hell yeah. And then, like, going after Bane, and then Bane whooping the shit out of him. Swatting him out of the sky like he's King Kong. Yeah, that would have been great. But we don't get that, sadly. And then, finally, you get Bane. There's a door that he has to get past that has this, like, lock. This is the one a couple issues ago where there's only one key and, like, all that stuff, right? We saw that Alfred had, like, the key in his pocket. So he drags the Riddler over in front of the door to figure it out. And he's like, you've got until the count of whatever before I crush your skull. And the Riddler's like, ooh, this is great. (laughs) This adds tension to the puzzle. Uh, So the Riddler, of course, is able to open it up. And then you get this really awesome picture of Bane all jacked up, just covered in blood. Like, his mask is, like, ripped. Like, you see a lot of superheroes will get that at their moment of weakness where they have to rise up and fight the villain where their mask is kind of ripped to show their face. So I thought that was a good little parallel to things you've seen in, like, Spider-Man and Batman. And I felt that this one, like I said earlier, is really a parallel, like a shadow image of what happened in when Batman was broken. The Bane is going through the same things. So I thought that was a nice parallel to it. And I think maybe if you're not as familiar with it, you might not catch all the things that are happening there. But I really loved this. I thought this was spectacular. You missed the best part, which was when he's... You talking about Calendar Man part? To me, I thought that that whole scene, I mean, he's taken on like Man Bat and Zaz and Mad Hatter, you know, all, none of them are really, really going to stand a chance against Bane. That speech that he's giving right there, I thought was great where he's just basically like, I was almost out. You know, he's sitting there and he's going, I was, like, I was almost out. I was almost done. But no, you had to fuck me over. And now look who's back here. You know, I'm back. He broke my back and he stole my piece. To me, like, I thought that that was like the strongest piece of writing in this whole issue. It really felt like it could feel how angry he is because he's like i almost left you guys the fuck alone but no you had to bring me back in yeah i like that they've kind of stressed that a couple times here that batman has created bane's fury at him here through his actions bane wasn't like i'm gonna go rob a bank or some other stupid supervillain motivation he's like i need my drug counselor back guys i'm trying to kick the stuff and you're fucking with me i was done yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know how it's serious and it's good writing, but that little the little comedy bit, I was just like, I'm done. I'm this is great. 
Oh, with Calendar Man, where yes. Bane knocks him out, and he's like, see you next week, same bat time, same bat channel. Overall, the reason why I kind of skipped over this one on the pick, this was definitely like the next one in line. Almost seemed like less of an issue and more of almost just like a... Like a collection of scenes? Almost like a teaser. And that was the only disappointment I had. Not that this is bad by any means. This is a stellar issue. If you're a Batman fan and you want to see Bane whoop ass, this is definitely the one to see. That was like the one thing that I just felt like it was too short. You know, I wanted more. I really feel like Tom King understands not only Batman really well, which we've seen throughout his entire run, but it seems like every villain he gets his hands on, he finds the core of them really well. He only spends a page or two on each villain, and it's exceptionally strong writing for each of the villains. I love my Alfred cameo. This the way Alfred's face is drawn, where he's like, "Madness! This is madness!" He's like, you tell, like he's just so distraught and frustrated. And again, he also another call to the TV show. He also he says, "Use the bat phone." <laughs> I love Alfred. It's like, you arm them? Are you crazy? <laughs> I do like also how it's bookended with Maxi Zeus quoting first it's Dante's Inferno and with you know, that writing over panels. I think that that's pretty strong. Tom King likes to do that a lot, where he did it like in The Vision, where the son was always quoting Shakespeare, you know, so I think that's another one of his signature moves there. I will give it four and a half, abandon hope, all ye who enter here. I'm going to give it four, same bat time, same bat channel. God damn it! Oh, gotcha. <sighs> sneak, sneaky. I'll give it four. Use the bat phone. <laughs> Rory's stealing from you twice. <laughs> I just like stealing. <laughs> well, it's bad if I didn't get to say the line earlier, and then I got to take it away from me the second time I could use it. Well, on the bright side, you're going to be bringing us into something new and fun. So, uh, or not new, but definitely fun. So, I'm sure you have plenty of good quips for this one. Yes, because more chip. More chip is always good. Uh, Sex Criminals, number 17. Image Comics, The Scale, part 2. Myrtle Spurge. Spurge, ew. Sexual Cop. Written by Matt Fraction and art by Chip Sidarski. Yay! Yay! Oh. Which, by the way, go to bombshellercom Size is extra small to 6X. You can get some sex criminal leggings. And they're awesome. They also have Bitch Planet ones. Sex criminal leggings? So they do the quiet with like the, you know, the swirly lines. I gotta look this up. <laughs> it's how you tell the time has stopped. In the back of the issue in the letter to Addies, there's a photo of Chip wearing them. Oh, that, oh, oh, there we go. There we go. I love how the f- opening page where, you know, the last we left off, it's written like it's uh, like a superhero comic. Bitten by radioactive fuck bats. And then there's a call out to Star-Lord. The book is dedicated to Star-Lord, which I thought was really cute. Into the story. We go to like a flashback showing how Myrtle got Dr. Kincaid, St. Saint Cocaine, or what? Jasmine St. Cocaine. He's like looking at all the stuff and clearly he's kind of interested and he's just Oh like, God, those porn titles are fucking hilarious. Das Booty <laughs> in Golden Pond. <laughs> They're pretty awesome. And it's the issue is kind of a, her life and how she does it and then like why she's like really injured. So, so part of that in the reason of the book, I'm like, I'm not interested in having any sympathy for her. I understand it gives us a very nice, well-rounded side of the story. But I'm like, screw that bitch. <laughs> she's, she doesn't come off, I don't think, that sympathetic here. Like, I understand her, but I don't sympathize with her. So it shows her starting her morning revving her engine but not finishing like I guess none of them do like that's how like their power and she leaves the bed because her husband is like farting which okay that seems normal she has this weird app which they've kind of hinted at before where she can see the quiet going off and places and that's how they capture people and then like how she meets up with her team she keeps on saying how she's a cop and well while she's a receptionist at the police station she's not 
really a cop, but she's a sexual cop. I like that when they're at the Appleton police station, if you zoom in under the third precinct, it says like, if you see something, say something online. Let everyone know oh, what you think. I saw that and I was laughing I was like, so oh, hard. I know, me too. I'm like, it's right under the Fappletons or whatever that you yeah, like. Fapplebees. It's an interesting story. So she's on the case, as it were, finding another person that's like John and Susie or someone else who can stop time. It's her new skill. It's interesting. She's like, every dumb kid turns into a total sexual weirdo and basically says how every parent turns their kid into some sort of <laughs> sexual weirdo, no matter like, what. You never know the moment when you're going to turn them into a sexual weirdo, but we all do it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, ouch and weird and creepy. And true. <laughs> So this kid gets into this thing about being stepped on in toys and just trying to get his mom's attention because the mom's always on her phone talking. So that's his thing. And it turns into like nothing ever worked until he realized that being stepped on in a way is what does it for him. And It's almost like a like Munchausen syndrome because like yes. he gets hurt and then he gets the sympathy from it. A sex criminal is born. He starts off with like food and like ice cream and this doesn't do for him. Then he has like some sort of vision dream and he starts creating like simulcrums. Weird clay things and then you know they explain how certain parts are like developed in a certain way that are like erogenous or more sensitive zone. And I'm not sure how she sees that as it being a crime because I don't see him robbing anything but the fact that he's doing it so he can get off I guess is a crime to her. I think it's because it will draw attention to the other people who have abilities that they need to stay under the radar and little clay goblin sex dolls are not under the radar you know mall rudd the mall nobody hates yeah so he's at the mall his thing is like he runs them around the food court to get stepped on and stuff and gets his jollies and they show up there that trio in white she yells at the mask guy she's like giving him a hard time saying like he never gets basically come on his hands chubby one's like but we're not real cops and she's like speak for yourself pussy dicks i love how <laughs> the guy who's in the, the full-on jumpsuit is walking around with a heart on <laughs> so like they're there casing him trying to catch the guy with his simulcrums in the food court and the two of the guys are like in the bathroom i guess about to get it on so they can enter in when she enters they're not as nearly as quick as her because they weren't ready and she uh kegel faces herself i think that's why they bring themselves to kind of like or at least she does anyway to like the edge and is always kind of frustrated so that when she needs to enter the quiet she can just you know bust one out yeah i'm sure she saved that burrito from getting spit roasted by, her, <laughs> by the two dogs. She oh sure, my god, when I saw that, I lost my shit. She sure did. <laughs> she destroys all the simulcrums. She's like, I'll catch you, you little Pikachu's. <laughs> catch them all busts it up and confronts him and like the whole basically the whole kind of spiel she gave john you're full don't let us see you again they totally screw with him like they get his phone and they download incriminating photos onto it so like if he does anything accepts out of line or goes against them they can like destroy and ruin his life not be able to get a job loses whatever he has i don't think he has a family but and he looks at them and apparently they're pretty bad and he knows it's no joke so he's a clearly distressed and like we're cops and then sexual cop and you just got fucked oh that was great <laughs> weirdly in the middle of all that besides you know the burrito that's when they decided to say for sexual readers only duh <laughs> which i thought was really funny like after all that is when we get our warning which you know that's just humor john can't let it go and all of a sudden he shows up in this parking lot where that guy was and is like how do you know her and the guy doesn't says like he doesn't want anything to do with them he like 
it literally takes off and then you get love John saying I said I was moving on I told Susie we were moving on and clearly I can't and then I like then like the preview for the next issue creepy is Susie and John asleep in bed they're in the quiet so clearly I'm guessing they just finished having sex and they're going to bed and the creepy little simulcrums are all over them <laughs> and they're like and she's like ew get it off of me and then they're talking to Susie and John saying why'd you follow me why why and I'm like okay so is it that guy using them which clearly these are his but John didn't follow him the guy ran off and so I'm a little confused about what's going on with that but we'll see in the next issue yeah, we know he got a dick in his ear for it <laughs> There's a lot of things I liked about this. Like, in addition to all of the, like, the hilarity and, like, dick jokes that are, you know, throughout the whole issue, and really funny, I think this actual issue is actually really smart. And there's two things I noticed on it that I thought were really well done. Their explanation of how someone develops a fetish was really well done. I thought it kind of humanized what could be, you know, seen as kind of, like, weird or whatever. Like, it really explained the roots of what's going on, and not only what he does, but why he does it, and the evolution of it that he has to keep ramping it up. I thought that was really well done. And then you were talking about the little simulacrums that he makes, that they're sized based on the number of nerves in the human body. So the more sensitive the part of the body is, the bigger it is on the doll. But he doesn't actually realize that. He just kind of instinctively creates them that way. I thought that was really interesting as well. So smart dick jokes, I think, is... It is. I mean, it has this thing that we've come to expect from the series. Fetish thing and how it develops, I thought was very smart and really well handled and just a really interesting read just in general and I thought it was handled really well like I really appreciated that part you're not for anything like sexual in nature but it was just very thoughtful and like sensitive to it I thought it was really well crafted and honed and as a parent you're like man you mess up every you, know, you don't want to mess up your kids but you kind of like oh man it's kind of a downer in a way I would think it does a really good job of kind of explaining how what we would call like mental illness or in a lot of cases is a reaction to trauma you know that it's a coping mechanism that he develops to get his mother's attention. And then it becomes sexualized. Like they have a picture there where you can kind of see where it shifts from attention to being sexual, where she's kind of like kneeling down and they have the dialogue boxes over certain parts, you know, and you see the kid staring. You can see there where it goes from attention to to sexual, I think. Like, it doesn't feel very judgy. That's another thing that I enjoyed about. Like, the sex cops are very judgmental, but the actual, the writing is not. I don't have anything, like, thoughtful or deep to say like that. I just think it's it's something that I found pretty entertaining. It was funny. Made me laugh a lot. Nothing deep or anything like that. Just... Normally, this would not be like my kind of fair, but it is entertaining and definitely makes me laugh a lot when when we have sex criminals on. So eh. I gave this four Pikachus. Nice. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna give it three and a half spit roasted burritos. Nice. <laughs> Uh, I will give it for Mall Ruds, the mall nobody hates. <laughs> oh, love that. So I'm sure that everybody's going to be excited about this. Uh, so we had American Gods Shadows, number one. Dark Horse Comics, written by Neil Gaiman and P. Craig Russell, art by Scott Hampton. So I just started reading American Gods a little while ago. And while I do enjoy the book, I haven't gotten super far on it just because I'm always bouncing back and forth 
forth between weightlifting manuals and comic books and books that I read. <laughs> so I never really get too far on one thing at one time, unless I'm really hooked. But so I was excited to pick this one up. I imagine a lot of people who are reading this have either read the book or aren't a fan of the book. Chances are this isn't going to be your first encounter with it. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. kind of recap it. My thoughts on this one has basically been that I liked it. I liked the artwork. I like how they pictured most of the stuff that's going on here. I thought that the story, while I enjoyed the story when I was reading it through the book, I don't know, there's something about the pacing of it that just didn't seem to sit right with me in the comic book. I mean, they pretty well condensed down the story in a very good and reasonable fashion, but just for something to me, it was almost a little bit too complicated. So we've talked about how Ta-Nehisi Coates, it took him time to really like get used to the comic book format and writing a story for the comic book format. And I kind of feel the same way about this one as I read through it. It's wordy as fuck. It's wordy as Mm -hmm. fuck. And there's a billion different different panels. While it's accurate, I felt that it was just a little bit too much going on. Maybe they could have simplified it a little bit. Of course, other people might feel differently. But um, yeah, I mean, it's real wordy. All the words are good, but there's a lot going on. Fuck yeah, it was. (laughs) So it's kind of weird because even though it's a very accurate portrayal of the book and or the first section of the book, for me, it was it was almost too accurate like they needed to comic book it down a little bit to make it work for the format that they're in a little bit better i kind of agree with you i had a couple thoughts when i was reading this my first was this is really wordy like the words are good but this is almost too wordy for a comic book but that's kind of what neil gaiman comic books are like yeah they're very wordy and full of information my second thought was why does this exist well, it's because the tv show's coming out and it's like a money grab kind of thing there's no good reason for this to exist other than a money grab and to promote another project like this doesn't add anything to what already exists right like if you'd taken american gods and maybe made a story that wasn't literally the book like page for page pretty much (laughs) then that would be interesting to me but if you've read american gods why would you read this there's no nothing new here like it's it's really well done like the art is really good the writing i mean you can't really complain about neil gaiman's writing but i didn't feel like this added anything to what we already had or what we're gonna get i've seen ones before like i know they did it and i hate their twilight at all to anything neil uh, gaiman writes because it's it's apples and oranges as far as i'm concerned but there are cases where shit Sure. <laughs> but there are cases that's just one of the other book that came off the top of my head where they take books and they'll do a graphic representation of it. And again, it's like for a money grab, but it's this is not the first time they've done that. And even as far as not as this is not the first time anyone has done a spinoff of a popular thing, because we've seen some really horrible series that are spinoffs of really popular things. So I think this is more of not a spinoff. This is the graphical representation for people who like that. Or maybe they're trying to reach a bigger audience so the television series does well. I'm not sure. This should be like two issues. Yeah, I think so. Same things we had to say about Ta-Nehisi Coates, that they need to let silence work a little bit here. This really needs to be issued, but I think they're trying to get it out to time with the release of the American Gods TV show, so they can't make it like a 12-part series. This kind of like reminds me a little bit of like the illustrated classics you might have as like a kid, where you're like for kids, you're like, here kid, read Moby Dick in comic book format. (laughs) Which has a purpose, because like as a kid, the actual book might be too 
complex for you, right? Mm -hmm. But the writing on this is really complex. So what purpose is it serving, I guess, is my criticism of it. I mean, there are definitely people out there who don't like to read, but they'll read comics because the pictures help them. For some reason, they can't create images in their mind while they're reading. So this helps them. It does broaden that audience. But I'm sorry. I mean, the TV show, I'm going to watch TV show, let alone that I like the book American Gods. It's going to have fucking Ian McShane in it. So I'm going to watch it. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I am, too. I mean, it looks awesome. I'm not saying that the book is actually bad. Oh, I love the book. I mean, the comic. Other than being really wordy, the art is great. Story moves along. The art's a little simple for me. I mean, it's good and detailed, but it's a little too... I would have liked more shading, I think. It's just a little too... mm, I wasn't, like, blown away by it. I don't think it's horrible, but I don't think it's the best artwork I've seen. Eh, I dug it. You know, if you haven't read the book and you don't know what's going on and you don't feel like reading the book, maybe you're just not... You know, you don't have time or you just want to simplify it or you're not really all that interested this is a great way to to jump in on it i think i mean wouldn't the tv show serve that exact same purpose though maybe you want to know more and show off to people like oh they left this detail out maybe you're a dick like me and you don't like television (laughs) (laughs) maybe you like comic books more than you do tv maybe i know people who love to correct people about game of thrones well in the books this happened and maybe you don't want to read the book but you still want to be that dick that goes well in the book this happened and maybe the comic book will have it'll be more true to the novel than the tv show i'm gonna give it like three and a half worship me honeys i gave it also three and a half man swallowed by vaginas <laughs> uh, you guys have all honed in on the same yep. <laughs> <laughs> the same parts i think it's interesting i actually rate it higher than you guys do but i have more like i guess criticisms for it which is weird but i give it four coin tricks super sons number two dc comics when i grow up part two Lex and Friends, written by Peter J. Tomasi, pencils and inks by Jorge Jimenez, and colors by Alejandro Sanchez. Lax we left off, the boys were climbing up Lex's outside Lex's building when he caught them in his little super suit. Uh, I think one thing that will really help you in understanding this is knowing what Amazo is and what the Amazo virus is as well. So, like, Google that shit, then read this, and it'll make a little more sense. So we go back to that weird in a warehouse television studio-like feel with that family. It goes back to that. That's how it starts. And it's... Kid Amazo. His family's playing hide-and-go-seek with him, and it doesn't go well. (laughs) Murder edition, yeah. (laughs) I personally didn't like watching that. I'm sure Matt would have something to say how Marvel wouldn't do that, but DC will. But yes, that's where we find out that that kid was is Kid Amazo, like he said. So he hurts his family big time. Okay, so now I'm leaving that part. We'll come back to that. And we're back at LexCorp and they're on the side of the building. And he's like trying to bring them in. It's a really good panel. It's a school night. Kids should be in bed. And he tries to grab them. And Damien uses John as a distraction. And as he's falling, he's like, FYI, cue ball, kid can't fly. So Lex is forced to like save this because I'm pretty sure he doesn't want that wrath on his head. I think distraction is kind of a generous way of describing what Damien does to John. So they have these like repelling hooks that they're using, right? And he cuts John's repelling hook and throws him down the building knowing that Lex will go and save him and give him the time that he needs. Like Damien is fucked up and cold. 
I just think in Damien's way, I just connected with Damien, and I personally think it was just a distraction. But yes, it was a little extreme when you put it that way, but it served a purpose. <laughs> sure. <laughs> While he's catching him, Lex is like, go limp. And Damien's up there going, Lex, tech security doors, my favorite. So he, Lex does catch John, and you know he keeps on trying to find out who they are, which I don't understand from their outfits. He can't figure that out. But okay, he's like, tell me who you are. And I like how John's like, we're nobody, okay? Nobody. And he high kicks Lex right the jaw and he takes off running and Damien breaks into the lab and he's doing something which you don't really know yet it's all according to his plan it's just showing how Damien thinks it's very Batman like where he has contingencies and he's like based on the kid's speed I think I have this much time because he already figured out how John would react and what he would do and He's pretty much dead on with all his assumptions to this point. And I like where John's lying, but he lies really bad because it's John. And he's like, we're from an orphanage. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, you're the greatest hero of all. Yeah, yeah. I made this Superman outfit myself, just like you. We're, we're super fans. <laughs> and he's just like, then why are your friend putting explosives in my lab? And he conf- they go back to the lab and confront Damien. And he's like, and you know, he blasts the explosive away. And again, Damien tries to distract him. He's like, well, you know, you might be giving me the count of four, but I'm going to give you the count of five to get rid of all the other 11 things I've put in your, and you know, Lex starts to freak out. He lets go of John and like, they run, they we're out of here. And that's where like him and John get back into fighting and stuff like that. And Damien's being, being his little sticks up like you make a terrific distraction he's like you did that to me on purpose and you know they fight and everything it's like Damien just like you know reveals his whole dire plan like no I was downloading the security logs and I was doing this and lets go his whole like plan and then that's where they start running into they see the footage of that kid Amazo so what happens is that he's gonna go do something and figure it out he's like and not listening to John because John's like let's get our parents and he's like well why don't we buy the Teen Titans and Damien's like no 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 and totally dismisses everything that John has to say and I love the part where John's like he's like you don't pay attention to details and then he basically John figures out who that kid is where he knows him from and he's like how did you figure that out and he's like details yeah and they bring that up later too it's good they go for a little dirt bike ride which is really cute uh, it's almost like John riding big little cape flip flapping in the wind they show up at the warehouse where I presume and it finds out to be true that that's where that TV studio like thing that we saw i'm making finger quotes like you guys can see me but and it ends up being the same thing again like where ryan said that it comes back again uh damien's trying to assess the warehouse how they're gonna break in he's like oh skylights or whatever i have an oxygen acetylene torch and um john goes hey genius details and points to like this open wide open door not even like subtle at all and you know damien's like pouting about it there are different detective skills at work damien's like reading and everything where john is horrified and finds like all the bodies and he's just like definitely like I want to call our parents I do love the thing where Damien's basically trying to push his weight around and John finally just has enough and just Superboy shoves him just away it's like you're crazy people are dead he's like no John wait you know, he calls him a crybaby and he's like I think I'm gonna be sick you know because John's a good kid he's like more innocent not as fucked up as Damien and you know seeing dead bodies like that many and of like some of them are kids it really affected him at about that same time where Damien's figuring out that there's not enough bodies to match the chairs or the photo, the family photo, is where we see the panel at the same time of John discovering someone out in the woods. I love that how it ends with the dual panels with their opposite dads coming up behind them. I like that too. I had to look up the Mazo thing, and so I thought that was really interesting that Ryan did suggest that because 
I would think it definitely helped. I still continue to like Damien and John's interactions. I think they play off each other really well, and I enjoyed it. What do you guys think? Roy, I don't think we've heard you talk about Super Sons yet, so uh, I'm not go? gonna lie about it. I could give two fucks about these characters. <laughs> um, it's not poorly written. It's just not my thing, and I I don't know. I just feel like it's too forced of of we're making mini Batman and mini Superman. I don't know. That's just the way I feel about it. The artwork's really good. The storylines aren't bad. It just doesn't tickle me interest bone, to put it lightly. <laughs> I really like Super Sons. I really like Peter J. Tomasi as a writer. Uh-huh. I think. I think he nails kind of Superman and Damien in here. I think the book is really cute and has a good heart, but it also has some moments of darkness in it that kind of lend it some weight. Like you were talking at the beginning, Chris, where that Amazo, Kid Amazo, is hunting down his family and slaughtering them. They do a good job of keeping it still within, not an all-ages comic, but more comic booky, not like an image book or something like that, where they show him confronting the person. They have a moment of like horror of them like begging to be spared. Then you get a sound effect and then it cuts to the next one and at the end you see them all lying on the floor in pools of blood but you never actually see him killed so that's kind of a way that they're able to suggest what happens like we're talking about in batman where they suggest the fight between batman and solomon grundy kind of the same technique here that your mind can fill it in i did like there's a panel right at the beginning where they're climbing up the building and lex is kind of hovering behind them with his like superman outfit on i really thought that was a really well done panel thought that lended a lot of like epicness and sense of scale to what's going on. I think you're right that they contrast the two characters really well. They're a perfect like yin and yang thing. Like you'll even see there are pictures of them where they're sleeping and they're like curled around each other. Not in this issue, in previous issues, you know, to suggest like the yin yang symbol. And I, I do like that John, when he sees the dead bodies, freaks out. That he is still much younger and much more innocent than, than Damien. And those two end panels that you were talking about are really awesome. I'm actually not convinced that those are... Superman and Batman because Kid Amazo can make clones of himself and Amazo has the powers of like all of the Justice League so they could be clones or not clones I guess duplicates of Kid Amazo that are using maybe the Martian Manhunter's ability to change shape I don't know either way would be awesome if they were clones that they thought were their parents for a little while that would be cool but if they're actually their parents it would be kind of cool to see what Superman tells Damien and what Batman tells John I think that would also be really interesting and that person that he finds at the end that's Kid Amazo's sister, the only one who survived like the massacre. I care about these characters. I think that it's actually kind of the opposite of what you were saying, Rory. I feel like they're those two characters have like organically grown and have built their interest in characters for each other. Yeah, because I can really usually care two shits about Superman, but I really like Super Sons. <laughs> I think yeah. it's super lame. I like Damien. He's really interesting to me. I gave it three and three quarters details i really like the artwork in this the storyline doesn't really do much for me so i'm gonna give it three badass lex luther suits i will give it four fly away crybaby so we're still in dc we're still in kind of the superman corner of dc so we have superman number 19 from dc comics superman reborn part three don't pass go written by peter j tomasi and patrick gleason pencils by patrick gleason inks by mick gray 
colors by John Calise. So this one, really, in order to get what's going on, requires a lot of knowledge about Superman and a lot of knowledge about what's going on in some other Superman books. I'm actually interested to hear what you guys think, because there might be stuff on here that maybe you guys didn't pick up on, so I want to know if it works <laughs> both ways. I can almost guarantee it. First thing you need to <laughs> understand is an old Superman story from the 90s with Superman Blue and Superman Red, where Superman got split into two different sides that each had different like aspects of his personality. So that's really important because there's blue energy and red energy in here, and they're really referring to that event. I feel. You also need to know that the new 52 Superman, when he died, he exploded and his energy went into Lana and Lois in that world, and that that's what the Superwoman comic book is about. So those are all some pieces you should know about. And also, I guess, you should know that the new 52 Superman died sacrificing himself and kind of turned from... Had like a little redemptive arc at the end, right? Went That's from a being, bro. That was the bro Yeah, super, yeah. super bro super or bro. super douche, like whatever you guys yeah. <laughs> ended up calling him. She didn't uh. like him. So this is concentrating on the idea that Mixelplek has John and is rewriting reality to cause both Lois, who was the first one affected, and then also Superman to start forgetting. And I really like the art in this that they, especially how they do Mixelplek, that they can take him from like cartoon goofy to then they change kind of the lighting and the angle that his face is at and he looks super demonic and evil. So I thought that was kind of cool how they did that. There's also just art wise, there's a really cool panel of like a spiral that's going down with people standing on different parts of the spiral. So it kind of reminded me of like an MC Escher painting in that part. But another art piece that I really enjoyed was when Mixelplik has the game set up and they show the board that they're on. It's like a kind of like shoots and ladders, Candyland type board that has different characters and scenes from like Superman history on it that I thought was pretty cool. Mixelplik is sort of rewriting reality with Superman and he's talking about how Lois and Clark and Clark and Lois are like a constant across all the multiverses that you can't keep them apart. And there's kind of a dig here at the New 52 where he says like even when basically the idiots tried to keep you apart, which was one thing in New 52 is Lois and Clark weren't together. So there's kind of like a a little reference to that part going on. So Mixelplik offers them a deal that if they can get to the top of the infinite planet that's where john is stored at and if they can get him back they can have him back but if they don't he's going to cause them to be forgotten just like he was forgotten by superman so the little imp is super pissed off and vengeful here and superman is going through you know trying to battle his way through and john is surrounded by these two weird kind of like red balls of energy that he's talking to and it's kind of like a one-sided conversation where he's talking to them where he's like oh my name is john and you can only hear his side of the conversation that's happening. So Superman is having that kind of heart-rending moment where he's actually starting to forget about John as well. Like he knows he needs to get to the top of the planet, of the infinite planet, and he needs to do something, but he can't really remember why or what he's doing. And then he has kind of that like Superman moment where he like busts through basically almost like a panel in the page where he punches his way out of it. And this is like a very blue panel, right? Tying into that thing I was talking about with Superman blue and Superman red at the end. He talks about how family never lets go and he'll never forget. So he's kind of like rallied at this point and this is where john it's really really interesting to me where john kind of like grabs those two balls of red energy and is telling them that you know he can tell they're good people and they need to fight and help him and there's this huge ass red explosion at the top of the infinite planet which is like their version of the daily planet right in his realm and john has these like now kind of like glowing red energy fists and you see this 
panel, which I really like, where you see the new 52 Superman and the new 52 Lois with all this like red lightning surrounding them. So the new new 52 Superman is flying up and he has John on one arm and Lois in the other. And you get Mixelplik, what is it, Deja New 52? Mm-hmm. So the super bro Superman who kind of redeemed himself at the end of that run is back and he has the red energy of Superman. So this one, like I said, there's a lot of, like this is a real deep cut into Superman. So I actually am really interested to know what you guys who probably are not as big of Superman fans, like was this, could you follow this? Did it make sense? Was it compelling? I am not a super historian, so I thought it was, um, the artwork was amazing, but I mean, I thought the story was super confusing and because of that, super lame. (laughs) Now, of course, like I said, I'm going to throw that caveat on there that I don't have the last 20 years of Superman history at my beck and call. So it was really confusing to me. And to me, that's kind of one of the things that makes for a good comic book. How well can I jump into this? And I mean, of course, it's one thing when there's a story arc going on or something, but that that was the big problem is I could tell that there was a lot of stuff going on here. I just didn't know what it was. And be kind of like, hey, you know, how are we going to rate you this Usagi comic? But you have to know like the last 20, 30 years of Usagi history to understand what's going on without any indication. I mean, it's it's different when they leave when the artist will leave a footnote saying, "Hey, see right. this issue or something." Give me some place to go if I'm curious to find out what the fuck is all this shit about. That was kind of my only really problem with it is that I, I knew that there was something going on there because I could kind of tell that they were dropping references, but I just didn't know what they were, and it didn't give me enough to really want to find out because I don't want to. Yeah, it's like I don't want to go searching all super history. You know? Right. Right. You know, I did enjoy the artwork. The storyline was very confusing to me, uh, not knowing all these different things when they're mixing in like five, six different, you know, story arcs together. I think it might have been a little bit easier for me to follow since I've been reading this one with Mixelplix. So that part of the story was easy to tell. Punch that little bastard, too. But with like Clark asking like, well, why am I, you know, and the blue and him going boring. I just assumed it was some alternate reality version of them or another universe, multiverse version of them. Not knowing the exact details, but they're all about multiverses there. So I'm like, it's just another one. It was easy to draw that conclusion. Right. But not really knowing really what it was. I got that sense when there was two of them and he was seeing pictures that it had to have been another version of them, especially when he saw like the red photo of them in that floating bubble because he had a bunch of photos next to him and then when those red lights showed up there was like this photo that he was holding of them but it was like super like a really red like Instagram filter over kind of thing so I'm like okay well that's what those lights are so it was easy to connect those dots but he kept on always having the blue outline and then there was that one where it was like his blue silhouette with the two lights dancing around him right I knew you were gonna like the game board one that actually is really nice artwork with him like looming over it yeah but yeah, I don't know what that's going to mean. I mean, still, is like, sure, that is your multiverse version of your parents, but that's not your parents. Not right. It's not thick. And I'm sorry, Super Bro would be a horrible dad. You don't want Super Bro. <laughs> well, I think going back, oh man, we're really going back here to the end of like the New 52, where he sacrificed himself to save people that he kind of grew into the Superman role. So I don't know, but like the two, the red and blue energy are different and they bring out different aspects of your like personality too. So, but it was heartbreaking when, oh man, the, the face drawing where Clark couldn't remember his name and Mixoplex was purposely trying to do that. He's like, cause he's like contract son, you know, trying to hold on. And he's like, he's like, what son? And he's like, oh, I can't remember his name. And then that panel, where it's totally gaslighting him, yeah. 
and just kind of rub it in his face where he's like my name is Jonathan Samuel Kent you know and, and he's like when John gets the you know you mentioned the red fists but just I love that panel where he's like all determined and getting angry I like to see the story move on because it's been really hard to see when he faded and I'm glad that there's some sort of kind of like reconnection but I'm not happy to see Super Bro back that deja vu can stay vooed <laughs> if you've been reading the new Superman stuff you'll probably pick up on what's happening maybe not all the implications of it and then this one I definitely would say the more you know about Superman the more you're gonna like it I think that's a pretty fair assessment of this and since I know a thing or two about Superman I really liked this I really liked this whole storyline I thought it's been excellent so I will give it four and a half Deja New 52 I thought it had really detailed artwork it'd be a five in the artwork two on the story because I don't have Matthew level of super knowledge <laughs> on the super history of the subject and like I said it they didn't give me a jump off point I understand that if, if you've been following it it's going to be great or if you've been following soups for a long time it's going to be great it's just for me it wasn't that great because I don't I don't understand I don't have a reference point so that being said I'm going to meet somewhere in the middle and give it three boring <laughs> <laughs> like I said I really like the thing with John I've been really liking the emotional upheaval of the story that it's had I didn't have all the history and so I don't really get that and I'm not too thrilled about a return of super bro but that can be said I'm gonna give it three and three quarters you know how to get my juicy juices flowing superman <laughs> that was kind of creepy and gross <laughs> yeah that's definitely it's kind of dirty missile flick should not be saying he's giving anyone juices flowing that's just yeah gross. with his dirty little Imp looking like he's out of it's a small world creepy face looks like he should be in like a willy wonka tour you know yeah, did you get seriously. dragged onto Small World on your last trip, Rory? Yes, I did. <laughs> and I will never be the same. Okay, so we got Wildstorm number two. Wildstorm imprint DC Comics, written by Warren Ellis, pencils and inks by John Davis Hunt, colors by Steve Bucatello. It's so nice to see John Davis Hunt's art again. Mm -hmm, I know, it isn't is. it so good? It's so good. But I do miss him on Cleaning Room. I know, seriously. That's actually the one hard part that I'm having with this series so far. Me being a big fan of all the previous histories of Wildstorm. Obviously, the artwork has changed over the years, and so it's getting a little bit difficult for me to uh, associate faces and names and go, oh, that's so-and-so, that's so-and-so. You know, in some cases, I I'm better at it than others. So far, though, I mean, that artwork is fucking phenomenal though <laughs> so this basically starts off with everybody is looking for the girl who saved lord imp <laughs> i know his real name jacob marlowe so everybody's looking for her angela spica and at this point basically you have io looking for her, you have skynet looking for her and you have halo looking for her. so you have basically like these three super huge like undercover operations groups looking for them all for their own reasons. Unfortunately, her saving Marlowe out in the open when they were trying to assassinate it, it's made like this big hubbub because basically I think it's Io and Skywatch have a peace treaty. Yeah. Yeah. So they basically have a peace treaty going on. And so since they blew an assassination publicly, 
well, then that basically puts that at risk. And then they also have a piece of their technology <laughs> that was used to save Marlowe. Well, none of that piece of technology, they didn't think that was possible. That's the other thing is it's something that not only did they not think was possible, but the rest of the world is like doesn't even think is anywhere close to possible. So they're all looking for her currently at this point. And then they have like Marlo's trying to get his people in there. Basically wants to get her before they do just basically like, like to save her asses from what I could get because chances are Io is probably going to you know probably going to kill her Skynet uh, I don't remember what they said Skynet was basically planning on doing but so everybody's activating their cats or their covert action teams and so everybody's getting ready to go Halo basically looks like they actually have it down first because Kanesha has did the math to figure out exactly where she could have gone from where she dropped off the radar so they've figured out that there's like this secret base that's there or old abandoned base that's there and they're like oh that's probably where she went and then later on io figures out that figures out the same thing are you talking about where they see trace of her landing on that island and they're like she either stopped to pee or she knew there was a warehouse there that's the thing there's a lot of information in this book there is because you basically have all three of the large spy groups that are basically making a move to capture this girl there's a lot of info everybody's mobilizing their covert action teams and they're getting ready to go you get this cool scene where grifter is getting ready with is that voodoo there i think that is i was gonna ask you i thought that was grifter but i wasn't 100 percent. that's grifter yeah cole cash which it's funny because i think i from the 90s and stuff it's like i imagined grifter differently and they seem to be portraying him kind of more of almost he seems to be a little less hard than he was in the 90s version but i think the the 90s version of grifter was a little bit more of a cardboard cutout so that's one thing i've been interested about with them is like it seems like they're putting more depth into the characters this time around and more life into them than their 90s incarnations (laughs) they're getting ready to go out and then so they basically get teleported out there and then that's where it stops wildstorm it's funny because they've got this phenomenal artwork and they've got these great storylines but it's also a very slow moving very involved storyline so i've been pretty excited to be reading this you can feel that something big is going to happen very soon and i'm hoping it's the next issue yeah i felt like this issue was kind of like a not exactly a holding pattern but it feels like it's definitely a bridge between actual things that are happening like something happened now people are reacting then issue three probably something additional will happen yeah, I bet you it's going to be guns ablazing because all three of those cats are going to meet up. <laughs> John Davis Hunt's art on this is amazing. Oh, yeah. Not only can he do faces really, really well, he can also do the fantastic. Like there aren't very many monsters in here, but when he does like either energy or planets or like those kind of fantastic type scenes, they look really great. And I wasn't all that wowed by this issue, but I kind of trust Warren Ellis to pull out something. So I'm, you know, willing to travel over the bridge to get to the next thing that's going to happen. I don't know that much about Wildstorm like you guys did. And so like I really liked it, the first issue. This one was a little much for me. It was just a lot of information, a lot of talking and dialogue. I feel like this had more dialogue and more things to absorb even more so than American Gods issue. I was just kind of like, oh my god, it's so much, it's so much. I'm like, I, I got a little overwhelmed with it all. I'm like, what's going on? Who are these people and where yeah. are they? I kept on having to stop and think, okay, this person's attached to this group and this one was with this group because it was getting confusing and it was getting too much 
I think both Wildstorm and American Gods could have used like 25% less words. But the beginning few panels of when Spica is landing and getting into that old base camp, whatever it was called. Oh, yeah. The details on the suit and the energy when it's fading off of her. It's gorgeous artwork. I, I mean, we've all said it. Yeah. Hunt's artwork is amazing <laughs> and so pretty. So that really makes you makes me want to keep reading like okay i'm getting through this but the artwork is so good and i can't it still bugs me how much voodoo i think looks like the main character from <laughs> clean room i keep waiting for astrid mueller's group to show up <laughs> i know <laughs> seriously it looks like it's from the same world i mean i know that's their artwork but i feel like because even like like we used to call him the gray fox in clean room looks like harlow or whatever his name is the guy got thrown out the window yeah yeah he kind of looks like he could be like his brother or uncle you know other than that i mean i think I like it more for the art. This for me, as someone who's not a huge former, you know, knows about Wildstorm fan, it was a little too much. Like I couldn't like absorb the information well. I think I should have taken it in a little bit smaller doses. <laughs> I, I can see that, yeah. But I don't think it's gonna stick. I think I think it's. I'd have to go reread it and read it and like actually study it. And maybe draw some graphs, you know, <laughs> to, to make sure I got it. Because right now, as it is, I'm like things happen. People are hunting for them. Yeah. If this is your like your beginning run with Wildstorm, there's a lot of setup in this issue, and it's going to make a lot more sense to you probably in the next few issues as you start to figure out who these different groups are. For those of us who've been reading them for years, yeah, it's like I already know all these different groups and what they're all about and stuff like that. I read a few Gen 13s. That's about it. And I was like, so am I for me? I'm like, huh? Yeah, and that's the hard part about it, is that like, there were so many different series that were like 15, 20 years ago that you had to follow, you know, to really like be in the know on this one. So I guess this is my equivalent of that Superman issue that I just shit on. <laughs> it's like, if you know it, it's really good. If you don't, it might be a little bit confusing. Anyways, might as well rate it up. I'm going to give it four. I know who you are, and I know what you owe. I will give it three and a half. Wake up the cat. I'm going to give it two and a half just because I love John Davis Hunt. So those were the books we read this week. To check out our other podcasts, Broke Gaming and Cup the Cord, as well as other nerd shenanigans, go check out fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter or at Instagram. You can find the podcast at iTunes or Google Play Music. On Stitcher. On SoundCloud. And on Podcast Addict. Be sure to rate review and subscribe come back next week for another episode until then keep reading nerds